Apologetics Canada Ministries has plans for an amazing year of ministry ahead. And that is why on Sunday, September 17th, we are inviting you to this year's launch event. The event is going to be held in Linden, Washington. Logos Bible Software has generously gifted us the use of their Grace Manor estate for this event. And trust me, it is a beautiful property worth seeing in and of itself. The theme for this year is in it, but not of it, in reference to John 17, verses 16 to 18, where it reads, They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. So come on out and hear from the AC team as we share about all that God is doing across Canada and hear more about what we're passionate about and the great work that we just so happen to get to do in this region. So once again, that is Sunday, September 17th. You can head to apologeticscanada.com slash events today to RSVP. We hope to see you there. That's all for me. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy. I'm here today with my fantastic colleagues, Wes Huff, Steve Kim. Gentlemen, welcome again to the show. Well, hello. We're here with our fantastic uh, host. Oh, well, Mm -hmm. when you find him, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Good to have you guys on here. Today was the day that we said, you know what, Mr. President, we don't want you here. Go take a break. Go take a nap. Go hike a mountain, Andy, whatever you need to do. We, we got it from here. So Andy is taking a, uh-huh. a much-deserved break today. It's so funny having a conversation with Andy about what his, his weeks can look like sometimes. He's like, I have five speaking okay. engagements and like eight meetings and then somehow still has time to go hike. Mount Kilimanjaro with his family <laughs> on a weekend, <laughs> just out of nowhere. On a weekend, <laughs> on, yeah, a weekend. on a weekend. Yeah, I, I think this is a really good point, Troy. Like, I, I, I wonder if our listeners and followers sometimes, you know, appreciate just how hard this guy works. I mean, like, yeah. I, you know. You, the three of us were slackers, but Andy, that guy, <laughs> doesn't know how to slow down. Well, actually, that's not true. He's actually very intentional about slowing down. That's um, true. That is true. When he's hiking Kilimanjaro, that... we can't get a hold of him because he just yeah, he, right. he tunes out. There's no cell service. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When he's gone, he's gone. He's but gone. man, the guy, he really puts his back behind his work for the listeners and everybody who follows us. So I hope that gives you some sense of appreciation. Yeah. And a good reminder for the listeners, especially if the listener of this podcast right now only listens to our podcast, uh, that we do lots of other stuff. We're regularly at conferences and churches Mm -hmm. and campuses and venues. And then we're coming up with material that is unique to Apologetics Canada uh, or coming alongside other ministries. So we do the podcast every week, but we, we're also up to a whole lot more than than just that on a weekly basis. It's true. It's true. We we do have a lot of fun. It's a lot of it's a lot of work. There's a lot of behind the scenes work, but it's a lot of fun. But uh we're gonna jump into today's topic. And today we're talking about a healthy biblical hermeneutic, how mm-hmm. to read and interpret the Bible in a healthy way. And a reason I say healthy is because as I was kind of looking around and preparing is like realizing that there are different types of biblical hermeneutic. And I didn't even know that to begin with. But 
I know there's definitely been times as, you know, whether you, I was in Bible college or I was preparing a sermon, you know, how sometimes analogies come up or, you know, some uh, different scenarios you want to help paint for people come up. And I've just had this moment where every now and again, where a little radar goes off and you're like, ah, I don't know if that's biblically accurate. It sounds really good. But I wanted to have this conversation with the, with these two gentlemen in particular, because just they have more experience in this area. And, and for our listeners, Wes, in, Wes and Andy are going to be heading off very soon to begin a, a, a video series where we're talking about just that. How can I trust the Bible? So I, that entire series is going to be based around, you know, in a lot of ways, how do we read the Bible? How do we interpret it? So gentlemen, if one of you wants to tackle right off the jump, what on earth are hermeneutics? Yeah. Hermeneutics is, um, it's basically the science of interpretation. Now, we mentioned specifically uh, biblical hermeneutics. In other words, how do we read and interpret the Bible? But hermeneutics is really something, that, I mean, it's a fancy word, but it's something that we do day in and day out, mm-hmm. even in our day-to-day communication. We're actually doing that right now, right? As I'm saying things, you're interpreting what it is that I'm saying. And so this is something that we do. It's just that hermeneutics is a discipline is sort of the systematized way of, okay, how do I read and interpret a particular book or uh, genre or whatever it might be? So biblical hermeneutics is basically, yeah, how do I read and understand this thing? And let let me ask you a question, Steve. Uh, Do you read the Bible literally? Yeah, but I also read it metaphorically, figuratively, often. And and I get this from uh, sometimes skeptics who misunderstand the nature of the Bible, uh, and Christians have this misunderstanding too, that the Bible is a single book and it's not, right? It's a, it's actually a library. It's a collection of writings, um, you know, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and there are lots of different genres. Um, and we'll, we'll get into all of that, but um, do I read the Bible literally? Uh, the parts that are supposed to be read literally, I will read it literally. <laughs> you know, in the in the Song of Songs, this description of this woman, right? The, your teeth are like, you know, the flock of sheep coming up out of the water or whatever it might be. Your neck is like the Tower of David. Like, you took that literally? It, yeah, that's a frightening woman. Ideal woman. <laughs> yeah, that's a very frightening woman. Yeah. So, okay, pretend I'm a, you know, I've, this is the first time opening a Bible I've just accepted Jesus into my life. I've been handed a Bible at the local church, and I go to open my Bible. How on earth am I supposed to know what I'm supposed to take literally and what I'm what I'm not? It's a good question. So it was a bit of a trick question that I asked you, Steve, because if you read some of what the Protestant reformers write about the subject, they continually use this Latin phrase, sensus literalis, and that literally means the literal sense. And what they don't mean is I think what a lot of people think they mean is that we take absolutely everything we read literally. So, you know, we see a a narrative about Abraham, and that means that Abraham was a real person that walked the dusty Mesopotamian roads however many thousands of years ago. And also when Jesus says, I'm the door, it means he's a plank of wood. So I think that's what they think (laughs) reading literally means. Well, if you really read what the reformers are talking about, guys like Luther and Calvin and and Zwingli and Melanchthon and so on and so forth, these guys who in 
the 16th century and onward who created this this movement that you know us three come out of the protestant movement when they use this term reading the bible in the literal sense what they mean is interpreting the bible in the way it was written so when you come to the text of scripture you have to discern that there are different genres and different intentions mm-hmm. so some things are are prescriptive in that they're telling you what to do. Other things are descriptive in that they're telling and reporting a narrative about something that happened. And other things are emotive in that they're recording Mm -hmm. an expression and emotional response. That's a great point. Prescription and description are not one of the same thing. And often we see something described and we think, oh, the Bible is calling for this. Yeah. endorsing it yeah um that's that's not necessarily the case like for example yes there are instances of polygamy right Great example. Uh, the patriarchs had that david yeah. had that you know solomon i mean my goodness solomon dude just <laughs> stop it right <laughs> man asked for wisdom <laughs> yeah, hey, no, 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 Lord, I didn't thing? say wisdom. I meant wi- I meant women. Sorry, it yeah. sounded the same. <laughs> I kind of want to address what the question that you raised, Troy. Like, okay, became a Christian, zealous for for God. I open up a Bible. How do I go about doing this? My my advice is very simple: just start reading. Yeah, you you have to. You don't have to have all of your theological ducklings in a row before you can come to Scripture and read it. Right, and you know what? As you read, you're probably going to make uh, interpretive mistakes along the way. Uh, I did, Wes did, Troy did. Everybody does at some point as you're reading it. But the thing is, you learn along the way. Yeah, you make mistakes, and this is why the community is really important because there are people that have gone before you um, or uh, friends colleagues, family members that have spent more time studying, not just reading scripture, but studying scripture, who can actually uh, help you, you know, interpret the Bible correctly. Um, Mm. And and there are some things that are super clear, uh, other things that are a little trickier to understand. Um, But I think just first step is just getting into the word and start reading it. Yeah. These days, I would probably recommend start with the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Start there. Um, or if you want to, you can go right to Genesis 1-1 and start you know, reading it top to bottom like that. Whatever you do, just start reading first. Yeah. I think that's, it's important to, 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 to tell people that because the Bible can be very daunting. Whether you're a new believer or, or I'll, I'll use the term seasoned believer, when you read the Bible, if the Holy Spirit is who we say he is, and we believe that the word is alive, then every time I open the Bible, that means there is a new opportunity for me to see it in a different way, to see it in a different light, but stays true to the gospel message, right? And does not derail us. It sounds simpler than it is. This next thing that I want to talk about is what happens when our you know cultural and social context comes into play within the reading of scripture? Like, how do you incorporate something like that versus, you know, for example, the North American church versus yeah. Yeah. somewhere overseas? How do you navigate, how do you navigate that? And I think there's recognition that the fact that the vast majority of us who are probably listening to this podcast are reading a translation. And so in one sense, there's already a level of interpretation that's going through because we're reading the word of God in a language that it was not originally written and inspired in. 
And so fortunately, in the English language, we have this incredible benefit. And I say this as someone who can read the original languages. We, we have this incredible benefit of being given the word of God in a, in a form that we can very freely understand. And that hasn't always been true throughout history. And so we almost have too many translations. Not we almost, we do have too many English translations. There should not be any more new English translations because there are so many good ones that already exist. And so mm-hmm. I think there's actually, there's a tacit recognition, the fact that a, a translation approach has taken place. And so therefore there's a level of, okay, someone is interpreting this to some degree and we are benefiting from that. And so even then we understand that there is a level of, okay, I can read it at face value, but it's also already gone through kind of one level of interpretation. Mm-hmm. And and I would cast it even more broadly. I mean, what you say, Wes, is absolutely true. And I can say that as somebody who's worked for 15 years as a Korean English translator. Mm. And I know that languages, like no matter what you do, you have to interpret it. Otherwise, you can't make any sense of it. Because communication is an active interpretation inherently. Right, because what that's why I was I was saying earlier that even in me talking, we're all interpreting. We're already yeah. involved in that active interpretation, and so uh, interpretation is not this sort of a thing that's kind of. I, I can understand why some Christians who are very insistent on plain reading and literal reading, uh, I understand where that reaction comes from because we have seen scholars that take something that is pretty clear in scripture and then they jump through all these scholarly hoops and obfuscate, right? Just make something clear and just muddy it up. And we have seen that. Or deny some plain truth from scripture. So for example, Rudolf Bultmann, if you study the Bible, like you come across that name, who was a very prominent uh, Bible scholar in the early 20th century, late 19th century. Is that right, Wes? I think mm-hmm, he was yeah. around that time. And the guy denied that Jesus rose from the dead physically. Uh, and the reason for that was not, not because of some interpretive issue, but he had a philosophical pre-commitment that dead people don't come back. He denied miracles. And that's mm. why he took something that was pretty plain in Scripture and just muddied it up. So I understand when... Uh, our brothers and sisters who insist on plain reading, literal reading, um, face value reading. I understand where that uh, kind of reaction comes from. So these brothers and sisters, when they hear the word interpretation, they they think obfuscation, right? Mm-hmm. Taking something clear that and muddying it up. But reality is, like I was saying, interpretation is inherent in communication. Any form of communication you have to interpret. It's just the degree to which you have to interpret. And one of the tr- tricky parts with the Bible is that the bi- books of the Bible were written over a long period of time, a long time ago, in a completely different culture to our own, uh, in a language that's very different. Um, so, Wes, you you were talking about translations and how, English translations, how there are too many. Um, for those listeners who may not be familiar with the Bible at all, let me ask you this question, Wes. Did Apostle Paul speak English? He did not. 
<laughs> that's a that's a trick question. Did I get it right? Yes, yes. You should know this if you didn't. It was King. It was King James it, English. If I'm if King James, <laughs> that's crazy. It was seventeenth uh, century Elizabethan English. If I if I my research yeah. uh, proves so. It. Then for our listeners who are completely new to the Bible, what was the Bible? What languages were was the Bible written in? Yeah, so you alluded to this earlier, Steve. The Bible isn't one book as much as it's 66 books. 66 books written over a period of 1,600 years on three different continents by close to 40 different authors and then in three different languages. So there are two major languages, Greek and Hebrew, and then there's one minor language, Aramaic. There are about 12 verses in the entire entirety of the Bible that are written in Aramaic. And I actually think those verses are really interesting because uh, they're in the Old Testament and they're in places like Jeremiah when God is giving a command to the nations around them. And all of a sudden, in a lot of the copies that we have, the Bible switches from Hebrew, which is the language of the Israelites, to Aramaic, which is the language of the, the surrounding ancient Near Eastern cultures. So it's almost as if there's a translation aspect being done on the part of both God and the prophet to communicate as clearly as possible to the nations around them. So um, that's cool. Yeah, I, I've always thought that that's really interesting. But ultimately, uh, the vast majority of the Old Testament by far is Hebrew, and all of the New Testament is Greek, apart from a scattered few words that are transliterated from Aramaic into Greek in the in the New Testament. Yeah. So as you guys were kind of talking about, you were talking about scripture being, you know, the Bible itself being written a very long time ago by multiple people in a completely different context as us. Yeah. So. We, you know, we're we're talking about just looking at cultural context and timeline, you know, when the Bible was written and who it was written for or to. But how do I bring that into into play when I'm reading the scriptures, knowing that, OK, I wasn't in this time frame, but yet have it still apply to me today? Yeah, so I think the difference is when we talk about reading scripture, literally, I once heard this talk and it was... Uh, it was a sermon on Revelation, and the preacher was talking about the fact that uh, when it talks about these giant locusts that are making this terrible noise and they're uh, flying over, that that's obviously Apache helicopters. Because if we're going to read it literally, then we have to interpret it as Apache helicopters. And I, I remember sitting there thinking, no, I think reading it literally would be giant locusts. <laughs> I think yeah, yeah. I, I think you might be adding something in there. But so I'll ask you, Troy, this question. How many meanings of the text of scripture are there? How many meanings of the text? Wait a minute. <laughs> this feels like a trap. How many meanings? <laughs> I think there's I think there's one meaning but can be multiple interpretations. That's the that's the right answer. There's one meaning, but there are an infinite amount of applications. And right. uh yeah, I'm glad you got that right because <laughs> it might have proved awkward otherwise. The but the goal of proper uh, hermeneutics or another word that we could use is exegesis, which is just a, a Greek word that means to bring the meaning out of the text. The opposite would be eisegesis. You read your interpretation into the text. Is to understand what the author actually meant. And by determining that authorial intent, we can then apply it properly, applicably, and irrelevantly to our lives. So there's one meaning in that we understand that there is both a human author. You know, who wrote Romans? Well, Paul. But also the Holy Spirit. So, but there's one intention, right? When Paul says... Uh, you know, don't do this thing and has a prohibition list. 
we don't go, well, you know, actually Paul might have meant that you could do those things in certain, no, Paul said, don't do it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and, and that's what he means. Now we can take those things and apply them differently, especially if we're commenting on something like say, uh, modern psychedelic drug use, which is not directly talked about in scripture. So we can take the principles that are in scripture in the single meaning and then apply them into something that maybe is not talked about directly. Everybody brings his or her presuppositions to the table. I mean, even the fact that, Troy, you were mentioning about, okay, so you know, I, I have my cultural upbringing, and so when I come to the text, you know, this is so far removed from me. Even the fact that you raise that question like that means that you're aware of your presuppositions that you're bringing to the text. And a lot of the times mm -hmm. people are not aware, Yeah. right? They just think the meaning is very easy to just kind of grab onto. And some things, yes, um, because there is a bit of a constant between people back then and people now. We're people, right? So there are certain there is a continuity, so it's it's easier to understand. But then there are other things that might not be so easy to understand, or it just seems bizarre to us. For example, Abraham, um, as he was dying, uh, appoints a servant and says, "Go find a wife for my son Isaac." And what does he do? Uh, the the servant puts his hand under his thigh, Abram's thigh, which right. is said to actually be a bit of a euphemism for like right on his crotch, right on his private parts. And he swore, right? And we look at that and we go, that's bizarre. But the custom Quite. of the day was, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the custom of the day was, that's how you, if there was a serious vow that you were making, that's how you did it. Because what that act is showing is that you're not just you know swearing by the crotch, but you're actually that's an act of okay, I'm swearing by your generations because that's where the seed yeah. comes from, and yeah. it's it's so it's a really serious commitment that this um, this servant is making. But we look at that and go, well, that's bizarre. Why why is he doing that, right? Um, and and I have my cultural presuppositions. I mean. Wes, you weren't born in the West, right? Like you were born in Pakistan and then you grew up in Jordan and like, and then you kind of come up. So you're a missionary kid. Troy, you have your background as an adoptee from Jamaica, living in a predominantly, growing up in a predominantly kind of a white neighborhood. And that's, and me, I'm an immigrant. I was born and raised in South Korea with all of its history and baggage. And we're all going to bring that to the text and read it. But there might be other things where I misinterpret because of my upbringing. And because I bring yeah. my presupposition to the table. And that's where I think it's, yeah. you have this kind of tension and juxtaposition in the fact that two things are true at the exact same time. Scripture is clear and reading it will be able to inform us on what it intends to tell us. And yet at the same time, I hope we're not giving off the illusion that everything in, that is in written in the text of the Bible, in the text of scripture, is perfectly clear in every single instance, in every single case. There are things that are hard to understand. There are things that are confusing. There are things that still stump scholars and their disagreements um, on various passages. But I think... With those two things being true at the same time, Scripture is clear on what it means to be clear on, namely, I think, our state as fallen humanity and our our course and calling 
to towards salvation. And there are tricky things that it does take men and women who commit their lives to understanding the language and the culture and the context and uh, theological uh, systems that that help us understand those things. I think one thing that I want to really encourage people in, if we're talking about like hermeneutic principles and interpretive principles, is simply to read the Bible, recognizing that it is a book. And when I say that, what I don't mean is that it's not scripture, that it's just like any other book, but at the exact same time, it's not magic. It is a book in that it has words and grammar and syntax and it's sentence structure and it's not it's not this magic book that you're going to you know by reading certain passages or repeating them you're going to get gain some knowledge or special power or sort of providence and protection from yeah yeah i'm i'm glad you went there west because i, I want to take this in just kind of in that direction that you were saying is like just read the bible now, the next question for so many people is like, which one? There's so many different translations. And how do I know which translation that I'm supposed to read? Because there's, mm-hmm. you know, some people like to read the NIV. Some people like the NLT, the ESV, KJV, yeah. Amplified Classic, <laughs> regular Amplified, TPT, the message. How do I know which translation is a good one? Especially mm-hmm. if we're saying there's one meaning, multiple interpretations. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time number of years ago, my wife and I, we were at this particular event and her work was there as an exhibitor. And I happened to be sort of manning the booth, um, just kind of waiting while, you know, my wife and her team were on their way. And this elderly gentleman came by and we started talking and he's like, you know, uh, I, I see that you're a Christian you know, can I just say this to you? And then he started going on about how, you know, the King James Bible is the pure translation, and that's the one you should be reading. Now, um, I didn't want to be rude to him, so I, I just kind of accepted the words of wisdom that he was offering to me. But I was thinking to myself, well, actually, there is no such thing as pure translation. And I say that again as somebody who's worked in translation before. At one point, my goal was to be a Bible translator, and I understand there is no such thing as pure translation. So if you're looking for that one translation that's going to fulfill all of your uh, all of your needs, you might be disappointed. So which translation is the best? It all depends on what it is that you're going to use it for, mm. right? Because a, a translation has – it sits on a spectrum. Some things are a little bit more word-for-word. Other things are a little bit more thought for thought. Things that are thought for thought, like NLT, NIV, some of these are a little bit easier to read. So that's a plus. But then if you want to do like a serious Bible study, um, you might want to go with something a little bit more literal, like NASB, like ESV, or something like that. So it really depends on what it is that you're going to use it for. I think those are really good points. And I think the shameless plug is that on my website, wesleyhuff.com, I have an infographic that charts the continuum of what's traditionally called formal equivalence versus dynamic equivalence and then paraphrase. And there's a lot of truth to that. If you actually do an in-depth study of how those translations operate, you find actually that 
that's more of a convenient myth than it is anything else. There are obviously translations that are far more word for word and ones that are more thought for thought. But that kind of philosophy can actually change from verse to verse, from uh, chapter to chapter, from book to book, from testament to testament, Mm -hmm. because you have a, a range of individuals who are doing the translation process. That's right. To Troy, your ultimate question was, you know, what's the 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 Bible I should be reading. Well, it's probably the Bible you have. The simplest answer is read the Bible <laughs> that you have, whether that's an NIV, ESV, NASB, you know, pick your acronym. And in saying that, what I don't mean is that all translations are created equal, because they're not. There are good translations, there are bad translations, and there are downright heretical translations. But usually people get hung up on, well, what's the best Bible? And if you have a Bible, just just read it. Now you probably should find a good Bible. And that's where I think I would agree 100% with what Steve just said. You know, the NLT is a great translation. Uh, it's very readable. Uh, I Our church uses the ESV, but if I'm totally honest, I don't really like the ESV simply because I find it a little bit, I find their word choice a, a little bit wooden. Uh, I love the King James Version, but the King James Version is archaic. It simply is. You know, we don't say be some chambering in emerald. We say broom, immorality, and tumor. <laughs> there are words that are just, I, th- we don't use them anymore. And then there are words that are even worse that we do use that the King James translation uses that have changed meaning. But on that reason alone, I think it's good enough to say, man, there are some good translations. If you have an NIV, ESV, NLT, NASB, you know, I could go through NET, I could go through the acronyms. They're pretty good. I generally, would not advise paraphrases, but that's because I, I've i never read a paraphrase that I didn't think the NIV or NLT couldn't render the text just as equivalent. What would you say is a, like, give us an example of, of a translation that would be a paraphrase. The message. That's probably the okay. most popular the one. Yeah. yeah. I think that there are yeah. useful uses, if that sentence made any sense, useful yeah. uses, <laughs> of something like the message as a supplement. Yeah. If you're like, hey, I'm reading this passage. I really don't know what it's talking about. Okay, let's look at a let's look at the message and see how it renders the text. But I've tried to follow the message with alongside with the Greek, and I have no idea where I am. And for that reason, I think it's not an actual rendering of the text of scripture. And for that reason, it's more of like it's even the further layer of an interpretation of what's being said than it is even a translation. Mm-hmm. And see, I think I've looked at it that way as someone who I, I really equate the message to being much like an artist writing a song about who God is in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. The way I read the message is I read it like someone wrote this me- to music where sure. you understand mm-hmm. who they're talking about. You understand the, the, you know, whether they're talking about the love of God or they're talking about a specific instance in which God showed up in their life. You know, I wouldn't take someone's song and preach that as the word of God, but I would use different components of it and then point back to, you know, that actual scripture verse, you know, the message in, I I put something like the TPT in there as well. But I think I say to people like, Mm Your context also really, really matters. But you you raised a good point, Wes, in that it it's not like it shouldn't necessarily be your the be all and end all. And actually, listeners, we won't go into it too much, but we actually did a uh, a podcast on the Passion Translation where we interviewed, I believe, 
Mike Winger. Mike, Mike Winger, Winger, right, where we interviewed Mike Winger, and we'll actually yep. attach it to the show notes for you so that we don't derail here. But yeah. Stevie had something you wanted to add. What you're bringing up kind of borders on the idea of genre, and we'll talk more about that perhaps next yep. week. But earlier, for example, uh, Wes, Wes asked the question, right? Like, what? how many meanings are there? And you answered quite correctly that there is one meaning there are lots of interpretations of it. What Wes was really getting to there, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Wes, is that when somebody writes something, there is a purpose, right? There is this intended meaning, and that's what I we would call objective meaning. Yeah. Now, uh, bear with me for a second because I'm going to get philosophical for for a minute here. Sometimes people challenge me on this meaning is inherently subjective, right? Because it comes from a person. Mm. How can it be objective? It's got to be subjective always. And I would say yes and no. Meaning, yes, is always subjective, but meaning can be subjective and objective at the same time. Well, and that's a, a product of modernity, right? Um, modernity and postmodernity kind of develop these ideas of subjective interpretation and individual interpretation. And I think this is where the the kind of non, okay, there's an authorial intent. The author has an intention in what they're saying. When we dismiss that, that's where we can really go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, John is very clear about why he's writing his gospel. Right? He tells you, I'm writing these things so that you uh, basically may know who Jesus is and come to believe in mm -hmm. him and have salvation in his name. And so the, there, there's a reason, rhyme and reason for why he's writing what he's writing. Um, and we can get into more about a genre. I mean, we kind of touched on it briefly, but there's way more that we can talk about. And right now, we're just kind of laying the foundation for some of the more practical how-tos yep that we're going to have to talk about eventually because I, I would hate to leave our listeners <laughs> with just these like really broad yeah. things and not uh, talk about some something a little bit more specific. Yeah. So, Thank you so much, listeners, for joining us this week for the AC Podcast. And you are listening to part one, which will be part one of two, as we are talking about a healthy biblical hermeneutic. So join us next week as we take a, a bit of a deeper dive. As we've tried to lay the foundation, we're going to, you know, we're going to go a little bit further into this conversation. What does this look like practically as we are learning to uh, interpret the scripture and understand scripture in, in an honest way? But until next time, join us next week as we find more things to think about. But you know the drill. Love God. Love people. Bye for now. Love God. Love people. Love people. Love people. Love people.